You are listening to the Practice Growth Podcast with Sean Terrell. Welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Terrell, and really excited about the guest for today's episode, Dr. Andy Stevenson. Dr. Andy is a partner dentist at Grand Dental located in West Des Moines, Iowa. He's a 2016 graduate of the University of Iowa College of Dentistry. And in addition to his practice, he currently spends one day a week working with the D4s at the U of I as a clinical adjunct faculty member. Dr. Andy, welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast. Great to have you here. Good evening. Thanks for having me. So really excited about our conversation, and I think there's a lot of directions we could go to start, but maybe just to give the audience a little context, could you share a little more about your background and just how you arrived at the, this current point of your career? Of course. Uh, I'm an Iowa kid, grew up in West Des Moines, uh, headed out to Denver for a few years, I got my undergrad, came back uh, to the University of Iowa, um, kind of wound up in dentistry growing up around it uh, with being my dad. The day I turned 14, I got dragged into his office and was turned into the janitor on the spot. Uh, so I don't really remember a day where I decided on dentistry. It just kind of happened that way. Um, and uh, likewise, when I graduated, ended up back in West Des Moines. Uh, and we've been working together for uh, uh, just over four and a half years now. Okay. So you practice with your father, Dr. Chad Stevenson at Grand Dental, and you said you started actually as the janitor. That's uh, true. Yeah. Okay. Why the age of 14? Was that the, the child labor laws in the state of Iowa? Is that that's, what... that's when it was legal and I could be on the payroll. <laughs> Probably not an uncommon thing uh, in dentistry, it being a very uh, familial profession. Um, just so you, you don't remember an exact moment, I guess you said, when you decided that you were going to pursue dentistry, but uh, being around it from 14, it probably lent itself to uh, being more interested in considering it for, for your path. Definitely. Uh, I, I really don't remember. I knew I was always good at the sciences, knew I wanted to go that route. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I considered medicine, but the idea of being my own boss really uh, pulled at me uh, hard at the time. So that was what kind of led me the dental direction as opposed to medicine. Okay. And how did, if you could share a little bit more about kind of that growth or the kind of meandering that path of you figuring out what you wanted to do for sure. And then, you know, working in the office or being around the office sort of as a kid at first, and then maybe a college student, and then as a dental student, and then eventually uh, practicing with your father. How did you guys kind of check in with each other more or less to make sure that it was still uh, along the way a good fit and what you both wanted long term? No, that's that's a really good question. Because um, actually, the original arrangement when I went to school was that I would not be coming back to the office right away. Um, my dad's experience, uh, when he first graduated, he spent two years with the uh, public health service on uh, uh, Native American reservations. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was a huge uh, growth for him. Uh, really learned how to do uh, dentistry in those times. So their understanding always was, you're not coming here right away, even if you want to. Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of our, our initial arrangement. Um, so I kind of went through school, not expecting to uh, go back in, whether it was uh, going to be something with the public health service or a GPR, some sort of residency or something. And then uh, we kind of had a, a conversation my fourth year where we, we kind of realized that what the direction that dentistry is going, especially with uh, all the digital stuff, which is really kind of my passion and what I've kind of found myself to be good at, you, there's not really any programs out there that teach it 
to the level that I want to master it. So we, we kind of made a, a compromise and said, well, let's, let's, let's do it here. And you are not the only child of your parents. You have a couple of siblings as well, right? I do. A brother and a sister. My little sister's a nurse. And my brother was the smartest of all. He went to work uh, for a healthcare IT company, finding that there's a lot of money on the fridges of healthcare. <laughs> Very interesting. I'm curious, uh, as the, one of three children that was interested in, in following in the footsteps and being a part of the family business, could you share a little bit more about how you guys have tried to to navigate that dynamic of things uh, in a way that's fair and I guess, uh, yeah, fair for everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, I am not an owner of the practice. So that's one of the things that we have kind of talked about as part of our uh, you know, potential future agreement is how to make that fair, buying into potential retirement and, and all that stuff. Um, we have not got far enough in that conversation for me to really give a deft answer to that, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it is definitely a concern, um, that, uh, needs to be handled, handled carefully. And very delicately, right? Exactly. With any family business, that's the case. Yeah. Interesting. So I know you have a passion for technology as well, and maybe I'm interested in how you have tried to blend some of that passion in ways to make dentistry more efficient and maybe even more specifically your practice more uh, efficient with the use of and the leverage of, of technology, broadly speaking. Yeah, I uh, actually, before I was the janitor, uh, <laughs> I, I would uh, take home the old computers from the office, take them apart, kind of Frankenstein them back together. So I, I really was interested in computers from a young age, um, took some web design classes in high school and college, and uh, then, you know, kind of discovered the what you could do with computer aided dentistry. Um, and not only that, but uh, just some small things, uh, workflow type things within the office. Uh, like uh, we use a little app that I, I designed at our office that just sends an email to new patients. Uh, that's pretty. We we control all the the fonts and the images and everything just to make sure that the, the new patient has a really streamlined uh, experience. And so that's just you know a little a little web app that I built, um, just you know from tinkering on on the weekends and. It doesn't really make any money. Uh, it makes zero money, but it, it hopefully uh, impacts you know the new patient experience. And uh, then going up to uh, we're doing most all of our implant cases uh, digitally planned uh, from not only the restorative aspect, but the working with surgeons to uh, digitally plan the surgery to the point where uh, we can have guides fabricated, three uh, D printed to remove bone and uh, and put implants in same day. I'm curious, and I'm asking to speak for your father, Dr. Chad, a little bit here, but uh, you kind of taking dentistry into this, you know, 21st century, I guess we're 20 years into the 21st century, but uh, what's that like for him as someone who, you know, went to dental school 30 some years ago, probably, and you kind of coming in with some of this, this new technology that maybe he wasn't accustomed to, what's been his reaction to that? And um, how have you kind of tried to blend that with some of the quote unquote, old school methods that maybe he was raised on, so to speak. Yeah, uh, I'm going to regret saying this when it's recorded, but he actually did pretty well for himself before I got there. Um, he's actually been using uh, some version of a scanner in the office since 2006, um, which is really, really early, especially for the Midwest. 
Um, so actually, when I got to the office, we were on, uh, uh, he was on his third version of uh, some sort of intraoral scanner um, and or uh, like a CNC machine within the office. So he did pretty well. He really saw the writing on the wall. Um, and really, he he knew that it's something that we needed to do within our four walls. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate that he kind of gave me free license to explore that. And that's part of what's been uh, some of my successes. I haven't had to totally reinvent the wheel, um, mm-hmm. you know, starting, a, a, you know, a startup practice from scratch is that I kind of had the, the framework of a, uh, was at the time a, a 25, 26 year old practice. And I could use that running room and, and kind of take, uh, take it to the next level with coming from my vantage point. You Travel to Iowa City at the dental school over there where you graduated graduated from four years ago and work yeah. with the D4s and the family uh, dentistry program there. Uh, what's that experience been like for you since you started doing that? I learn a lot more than I than I thought I would. Um, it's it's a it's an interesting experience to go back and, and work with the students. Um, it, what I really enjoy about it is I get to go back and be shoulder to shoulder with all my mentors again. Um, it not a, a week goes by that I don't ask a question of the people around me. So it's, it's very much as much about me continuing to learn as as helping the students. Of course, that's the primary reason. Um, but it, it's fun to help the students kind of uh, grow that fourth year in particular, getting them from, uh, you know, having all the ideas to truly practice ready is uh, I, I find it rewarding. And uh, again, I, I get a it's kind of a professional development thing for me. One of the questions I often ask other dentists on the podcast is, what would you tell the D4 version of yourself? And uh, I'm guessing your interaction there probably affords you the ability and the opportunity to more or less do that in that you can share some of the things you've learned in the last four or five years being out in the real world, practicing with some of the students who are on the verge of doing so. Uh, It doesn't have to be clinical, but more broadly based. What do you try to impart most often on those D4s? Usually it's something along the lines of do your homework and then relax and get it done. Um, so many times there, uh, we, I'll, I'll use the, the word we, you know, we get so focused on what's in the chair in front of you that you, you, you overthink it. Um, uh, and really you should be doing your homework on the front end. And then when it's time to go, you know, just relax into it. Just sort of trust your training. Is exactly. that a good yeah. way to encapsulate yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. And how was that received by the D force is it uh, well received? Is it uh, they have to hear it a few times? Uh, I th- I think they all get it when they're no longer around me. I I hope they all get it when they're no longer around me. I think it's one of those things that doesn't make sense until you're um, a, a little bit more removed from the the situation. You've made it through those significant hurdles like uh, the clinical boards and things. Then uh, hindsight reveals itself. You mentioned before we started recording that you have a, an interest in prostodontics, and that's a little bit rare among general dentists. Can you share where your interest originated and kind of why you're drawn to that specific specialty? Four years ago, I would not have imagined myself saying this, but uh, I've always really enjoyed dental implants. That was something that I, I had the opportunity to do quite a bit of while I was in dental school. And uh, just kind of through the luck of the draw, again, being fortunate to find myself an established practice. Um, got to do quite a bit of it and had the opportunity to start to uh, take on some bigger and bigger cases. Um, and as I kind of grew into that, I really enjoyed the uh, the methodical nature of 
spending a lot of time planning, uh, again, kind of going back to what I said a second ago, doing my homework and then executing and working with the team approach, uh, working with surgeons um, and, you know, taking this uh, plan and putting it into play over the course of six months, a year and, and getting a really nice result. So I found myself doing more and more of that, fortunately. And it's, it's kind of what I really enjoy as opposed to uh, kind of the hustle and bustle of, of running around doing fillings all day. What's the guiding principles of Grand Dental? What do you hope to impart and what sort of experience do you hope to create for your patients? It's a good question. Um, our, our, I guess our, our formal kind of mission statement is uh, to create a, a environment where patients will feel naturally uh, compelled to want to send other patients to us. So kind of that uh, and, and to us, that kind of encompasses not only a friendliness, but a competence as well. That just kind of is, is the total package of uh, we're not perfect, but we're honest and we'll, we'll do what we can to help you out. So COVID-19 is obviously very topical right now for everyone in, in dentistry in the world. How has that affected your practice and what sort of adjustments? I mean, obviously, there's obvious adjustments that everyone has had to make, but you know, how have you guys adjusted to that? It's been it's been significant. Um, and aside from being shut down, we were down for eight weeks. Um, we have had a lot of training with the staff. We actually our office opened up a week later than we could legally. And we just did an entire uh, five days straight of kind of staff in service, making sure everybody was really comfortable with all the policies and procedures. Um, we're going back now. Uh, we're, we're pretty much back to the same flow. Um, the fortunate thing about dentistry is that our, you know, infection control protocols didn't really change that much. Um, now we're changing gowns between patients, but how we clean rooms didn't change. Um, so it is definitely slower. And that's kind of been something that's been helpful for uh, me and doing more bigger cases is that uh, it's not so much about getting quantity through the door as you can, you know, slow down, which is, is better for cleaning rooms and things too. What do you enjoy most about dentistry? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I like the the process of starting with something, whether a broken down tooth or in, in a dentalist mouth, and getting something that somebody uh, goes out to their car and looks at in the mirror before they they pull out of the lot. Wow, that's really succinct. That's uh, you've thought about that. I I haven't. Uh, my office is right by the window, so I watch for it. Okay, so you see the patient leave your chair and then go out and sit, get back in their car. Yep, and a large number of them will pull down that visor and flip up and look at themselves in the mirror and check my work right then and there. Wow. Yeah, as long and, as they don't come back in, I call it a success. <laughs> what sort of facial expression or what's their body language telling them when you, when you see that? I generally can't tell. It's, I'm far enough away that I can't see that. Okay. So I do that when I get my haircut. I can't remember ever doing it at the <laughs> dentist, but yeah, that's one of the first things I do. That's interesting that you that you know people, uh, their behavior is that and that you uh, watch for that. So interesting. Yeah. What's one area of dentistry that you think the general public misunderstands? I guess maybe there's more than one, but what's the most uh, common one from your experience? Right now in, well, this has always been the case, but particularly right now is, uh, temporal mandibular joints and how they work. Um, so many times patients come in and say, I have TMJ. And my stock answer to that is, yeah, you do. You have two of them. You also have two knees. 
Um, because <laughs> to say I have TMJ is neither grammatically or anatomically correct. Um, so that's something I'm two or three times a day talking to patients about uh, lower facial pain, uh, just kind of myalgia due to over overuse right now. Um, so that's something that um, I think is really poorly understood by everyone and is found in, with high frequency and high achievers uh, of all uh, across spectrums of industries. So to shift in a little different direction from from the practice of dentistry to what you might do outside of the office or outside of the practice. Uh, a lot of dentists that I know are kind of work hard, play hard. I know you have a lot of interests outside of dentistry. What are some of those and how important is it for you to have other things to be passionate about? Uh, definitely very important, especially right now when we can't do any of them. Um, I, I really enjoy going back to my time in Colorado. I've always been a skier. Um, I, I buy a ski pass every year and, and usually try and make it worth the money. Um, it, and try, I get out there as much as possible as well as in the summertime. Um, I have a complicated relationship with running that I'm not very good at it, but I'm a better person when I do it. So I try it nonetheless. Um, and, uh, I guess related, but, uh, kind of not really working on a website, keeping our website up and running is kind of my, uh, non-clinical something that I work on that I, I enjoy doing and it, it also benefits the practice. Okay. And are you still, I know in the past you were interested in uh, a little bit of uh, heavy hiking or even uh, some borderline mountain climbing. Um, I, in, in my younger, cooler days, I used to, uh, <laughs> I used to do a little bit, a lot more than I do now. I still get out and do uh, a few hikes. Uh, in August, we went out and did a, a 14 er with my brother, sister, girlfriend and I, but um, not a whole lot of that to be had right now, but someday, someday. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm just thinking in my head, well, that's one activity that you could in theory do in relative solitude, which is uh, hard to come by right now in terms of finding things to stay busy that you can do by yourself and stay safe, I guess, more or less. Definitely. What makes you optimistic about the future of dentistry? Um, really looking at what what computers are going to be able to help us do streamline, not just clinically, but there are so many advances to be made in the, the software that runs a dental practice that can make things so much more efficient. And uh, from a purely business standpoint, uh, save dollars with staff and things like that. Um, also, just for, on the more clinical side, the, the rapid prototyping that um, is available with 3D printing and things like that, you can fail faster and better and get to a better result. Um, things that I think are, are really going to benefit, especially new clinicians like myself. Um, and uh, just the fact that dentistry is continues to be insulated from uh, the rest of kind of the medical field as it is right now, I think is going to help us weather this COVID storm. I hope is going to help us weather this COVID storm um, and, it, it, you know, try and maybe get some efficiencies out of it. Um, all said and done. And the opposite side of the spectrum, what concerns you about the future of dentistry or what things do you see as, as warning signs or caution signs to be aware of and maybe figure out some solutions to before problems yeah. pop up? Dovetailing on what I just said, um, I think that long term, I worry about dentistry's independence from uh, you know the, the big medical model. Um, it's getting to the point now where it's very difficult to effectively be a single practitioner, I mm -hmm. think. 
Um, I think that the, the margins just aren't there anymore. Um, I think that small groups are kind of where it's at now and the, the logical progression of at least the, 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 that we're on now, the path we're on now is bigger and bigger. And that's not necessarily better, at least, especially from a, a, a small business standpoint. But that is something that I worry about long term. The, as the efficiencies of scale become uh, more and more, and uh, insurance is you know not changing on a year to year basis, while overhead does go up. So in some ways, the current model is going to be a race to the bottom, and that doesn't bode well for um, the, the smaller players. You hit on a little bit. Is that, and this is probably you could do a whole podcast just on this topic. I'm guessing, but. It, the efficiencies of scale and some of the bigger corporations' ability to get products uh, and among other things and supplies at scale, is that a big part of the driving force? Or I guess, what are some of the other characteristics of that potential problem? That and uh, one of the big ones that isn't talked about a lot is compliance. Um, So getting, uh, you know, uh, keeping your water is safe within the office is an expensive endeavor every year. Um, you have to have an amalgam separator that pulls your amalgam out of your wastewater. That's really expensive every year. Little things like that, keeping your staff HIPAA trained um, is is no small feat. Um, all these little things add up. Uh, a, a lot of small practices just are kind of turning a blind eye to them. That's not a judgment, more of a statement of fact. Um, and it just becomes so much easier when you can you have enough people on board to say, okay, this person's in charge of this as opposed to the kind of the, the, the small model where there's just not enough manpower to do those things and do them right. So the patient compliant, coordinator can't keep track of that too, right? Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, there's a lot increasingly more balls to juggle and it's hard to do with the small lean staff, like pretty much here in uh, central Iowa or Iowa in general has is traditional for a dental office. What can the, and this is a broad generalization in my industry, you know, some of the, the smaller shops are referred to as lifestyle practices where you can build a, a nice lifestyle, but not necessarily have any enterprise value associated with your business. Um, what are some of the, I guess, is that trend, you're, if I hear you correctly, that trend is trending away in dentistry or slowly going away? Uh, potentially it, I, I think it might be a little bit more of a, a divergence than anything else. I think you're going to see practices and that are kind of part of that quantity race to the bottom, taking every insurance known to man, uh, you know, turning out a lot of people, uh, to get that small, smaller margin, but on every patient. Um, and I guess one of the reasons that I kind of have kept my interest going the directions that they are is that it's fewer procedures, but higher dollar procedures Mm. um, to kind of be a little bit more. I don't have to join with every insurance company and under the sun. I can be a little bit more selective, um, but it's also a little bit of a gamble at the same time. So I I think you're going to see a divergence. um, That's my my take anyway. Okay. Drawing a line in the sand and not trying to be all things, take all insurance and do all procedures for everyone at all times. Yeah. I think that that consistently doesn't work out well in the long run for a lot of practices. You start to see burnout uh, or quality suffers. Um, I, 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 can, I can think of examples of all of those. So along those lines, how do you, and this is quantified by, uh, you know, this is the Practice Growth Podcast. Uh, how do you think about growth and doing growth uh, the way you think the right way to grow is? 
Yeah, that's a really good question uh, because growing in dentistry means doing things in somebody's mouth for the first time that you've never done before, which is uh, should should make you sweat a little bit um, <laughs> if if you have a conscience. So um, again, I kind of go back to homework. Um, I really um, I, I spend a lot of time researching, uh, you know, implant stuff. I routinely keep. Uh, I, I do keep on every single computer that I have. I have an eight gigabyte file that is just uh, literature and instructions for use that I can reference at any time, kind of designed to be with at an arm's reach at, uh, all the time. So I, it's something I spend a lot of time cataloging and uh, kind of keeping in order so I can find what I need to. So that kind of clinical learning time, I, we got away from it post COVID, but I, I used to spend, have an hour a day that was just my office hour where I would do paperwork and kind of keep up on the trends like that, which was uh, horribly inefficient from a dollar standpoint. But uh, I really think that it was time like that, that gave me the time to investigate some of the cooler things that I get to do now. So Interesting. That was, that was one thing that I, um, I, I'm looking to, to build back into my schedule, uh, January one, actually. Because, uh, you know, and this is kind of the way I think about my business too. You have to continually be looking for ways to evolve, right? And continue to provide value for your patients. And I, that's not just doing the same procedures that, the way they've been done for the last 20 years. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's really been the, the one of the keys to my success is not that I'm better than anybody else, is that I have read up on some of the things and... Uh, you know, I have people walking in the door that say, my dentist couldn't do this. Can you, and mm. you, when you answer yes, you just got a patient. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a, it's, you know, patients are, are doing a lot of Googling. So you have to, if you're still doing the same techniques that you were taught in dental school, and this is true of even, even me as a, as a dental student, um, I am doing things very different than, than I, I did uh, even two years ago in my own practice. Interesting. Really interesting. Well, this has been so much fun. We've gone in a few different directions and I've, I've actually really learned a lot uh, just in this conversation about, about you and how you think about things and also uh, a few things about dentistry too. So it's been really interesting. Uh, thank you for sharing. And for people that are interested in getting in touch or getting in contact with you, uh, Andy, what's the best way to do that? Probably the best way would be to find, uh, find me on our office website, grand.dental, no.com or anything. Grand.dental is where you could find Dr. Andy Stevenson. Well, well, Dr. Andy, uh, thanks again. Really enjoyed it. And thanks for being a guest on the Practice Growth Podcast. Thanks for having me. Sean Terrell is a registered representative, certified exit planner, and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a direct, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Carroll Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Carroll Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Compliance tracking number 2020-112101, expiration date November 2022.